Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spooky Soup Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. How's your week? It's great. Good. Just uh, getting ready for Halloween. I'm so excited. I mean, we're going to go do Haunted House on Friday. Is it a haunted house? Or is it like Haunted Cornfield. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, with laser tag. <laughs> That's cool. It used to be a haunted house, and then they moved to a new uh, property. That's right, yeah. So now it's the haunted maze or whatever. It's still fun. Yeah, it's great. I'm excited. How was your week? Good, just working. I feel that. Right, you know, reading Reddit stories and finding some good ones. Nice. So, um... Before we dig into today's stories, I uh, just wanted to remind everyone that any images that we post for the story, you can find those on our Instagram. Um, also, if you have any stories that you guys would like to submit to us, whether they are true or not, we would love to read them on the podcast. You can email those to us at SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com or DM those to us on our Instagram, SpookySoupPodcast. Okay, you ready? I was born ready. Good. So I have three <laughs> stories today. Um, and they're all different length, but they're all pretty good. Awesome. I'm stoked. Okay. This story was posted by you slash glum dash rage dash six seven five four. And it is titled The Scarecrow. The scarecrow had been working extremely well since he was propped up in the middle of the cornfield four days ago. Although it was early October, it was seasonably warmer than usual, so most of the local birds had not flown south yet, which meant there were plenty of them to keep away. His outfit looked as you would expect. Straw hat, red flannel shirt, dirty blue overalls, hay sticking out of the ends of the shirt and pant legs where it had all been stuffed in. He was tied to a pole with extra thick rope to ensure he wouldn't fall down with his weight. After all, he had a job to do. The crows would circle slowly overhead, unsure of what to do about this figure hanging out near a potential feast. They would get close, but never too close. The late summer wind would shake the scarecrow's clothes ever so slightly, helping to keep the birds at bay. This dance between the scarecrow and these feathery pests continued through the afternoon until the sun began to set and the birds gave up. This is when the farmer would return to check on things. You could see him coming from the house, the beam from his flashlight leading him through the corn. He reached the scarecrow and shined the light onto his face. It wasn't a pumpkin head or a cloth painted face you'd expect, but the face of a young man battered and weathered from being tied to the post for four days. The young man looked down at the farmer, whimpering, unable to get a word out. The farmer grinned back. You trespassed on the wrong farm. Ah, spooky. <laughs> that was a good twist. <laughs> that was good. I like that one. That was awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. Short, short, scary story. Perfect. Perfect. This next one is posted by you slash any significance 8548 and it is titled new house i moved into a new house a few months ago and i've had my things disappear throughout my time living there i decided i should set up 
some cameras to catch whatever has been stealing my things on camera. I finished setting them up and set off for bed. I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm a heavy sleeper, so this is kind of unusual. I rubbed my eyes to adjust to the light. Wait, the light? I thought, I always turn my light off when I go to sleep, and I specifically remember turning it off this time. I got up as quietly as I could and opened my door. I walked halfway down the stairs before I heard it. I heard the sound of a person chewing. I quickly went back up the stairs and locked myself in the bathroom. I heard the person coming up the stairs and then coming to a sudden stop. I realized I left my bedroom door wide open and then I heard them walk up to the bathroom door. I stepped away from the door a bit and saw their face looking in through the small crack in the door. They saw me, no doubt, because after that, they started banging on my door, so hard that I seriously thought they were going to break the door down. I got so scared I didn't know what to do, but then it came to me. I yelled at the stranger that was outside the door. I told him I was on the phone with the cops and that they better leave before they get here and arrest him, but they were too smart for me because I heard them say while laughing, then how come I can't hear them? We both stayed quiet for a while. Then he started banging on the door again, harder this time. I didn't know what to do, but they didn't believe my bluff. I looked back at the bathroom window. It wasn't a far drop, but it would probably break my arm. I had no choice. I had to jump. I ran to the window and opened it. I took a deep breath and jumped. I did end up breaking my arm, but I didn't care. I looked up at the bathroom window and there was a crazy looking man standing there looking down at me with the biggest smile on his face. After seeing that, I got up and started running. I ran to my neighbors and begged them to open the door. My neighbors didn't like me that much, so I wasn't sure if they would actually open the door for me or not. Luckily, they got annoyed with me and opened the door. They noticed how beat up I looked and let me in without question. Once inside, I asked to use their phone to call the police. The police got over to my house and I ran outside. I told them I was the one who called and I saw my neighbor come outside from behind me. I talked with the cops for a while and they searched my house but couldn't find him. They did find something super disturbing though. They found a little hole in my basement wall with tons of pictures of me, all of which I was crossed out in. They also found stolen items of clothing from my drawers, mainly my underwear. This was the worst memory I've ever had, and most likely will ever have. After that, I moved out of that house and into a new one in a different neighborhood in a completely different city. I'm thankful that my neighbor had the decency to open that door that day, and I'm so glad that I jumped out from that window, even if I did break my arm. I also did get treated for that before all the talking to the police stuff, but yeah, that's my story of the worst event that has ever happened to me. Terrifying. It's one thing to be like have the person in the house and then to know that that person has been living in your house and like had pictures of you. Like stole your stole underwear. Your, yeah, stole your underwear. Stole things. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't like it. Get out of me house. Get me car. Okay, so this is my third story. This one's a little bit longer. So this was posted by you slash love de Mayo. And it is titled, Roadside Restaurant. I needed a rest. 
The way home was still long, and I had taken an even longer route to avoid the traffic jam at the nearby border post. It was early morning, and I had driven the whole night through, passing slumbering cities and vast landscapes, drenched in darkness on both sides of the highway. I opened the window of my car to let the fresh morning air in and feel the warmth of the rising sun on my skin, the faint scent of pines and salt and home. I had never seen the restaurant before, although I was sure I had taken this route at least once a few years ago. It lay at the side of the patch of road leading down into a valley, making a sharp turn like a river flowing down the steep hill. Behind the restaurant, the wood still shrouded in darkness as if the night held tightly onto the trunks and hid from the sun that was about to ride up into the sky. I made an abrupt stop when I saw that the restaurant was already open at this time. It looked nice from the outside, the walls white and each corner engulfed in stale tiles. I left my car after I had parked it in front of the building that seemed so out of place in its rustic majesty in this desolate and woody hinterland. Peeking through the window, I saw that way more customers sat inside than I had expected so early in the morning. I stepped inside and took a seat. A waitress approached me in an instant and took my coffee order. As I was waiting, I saw that none of the other people in here were talking to each other, just staring blankly at the walls or the tables in front of them. They all looked exhausted, shabby. And then, the stench hit me. It smelled of rotten flesh and sheep carcasses, a scent I was too familiar with from the church festivities I witnessed as a child every summer, when the scraps of slaughter were left outside to rot in the boiling August sun. Weeks after the priests and the locals and the guests from outside were gone and had returned to their lives, anticipating the next big gathering, the chickens and stray dogs would pick through the decomposing organs and fur, having a feast on their own for a while after we had finished ours. My coffee was not much more than dark brown water, too hot and tasteless. Before I could ask for the bathroom, the waitress looked at me from her eyes lying in deep caves in her face and her mouth adorned with rotten teeth. She looked sickly. You should eat something. You are tired and you will be here for a while. We have the best meat. I felt goosebumps on my neck. I looked outside and my car was gone from the spot I had left it in. Had I fallen asleep while driving? The world behind the restaurant windows had become a thick fog, only distant lights of green and yellow dots shimmering through the walls of white. Was all of this an imagination of my tired mind, a weird half-dream? None of it, the waitress said, now smiling in a wide grin, her thin lips almost stretching from one ear to the other as if she could read my mind. But this is her hunting ground. The goat of the hinterland rules here. She feeds on the travelers. She's the spider on the streets. And you stepped into her nest. This is her slaughterhouse. You will feed her in time. Your bones and nails. Your skin and flesh. Tasty. <laughs> Behind the counter, a huge creature stepped through the door. Naked, dirty, and tainted with dried blood and mud bearing the marks of both woman and beast, with the way too big head of a goat on her shoulders, wielding two rusty cleavers and looking at the crowd from her animal eyes. The waitress turned her head to the goat and gasped. She's a goddess. 
Soon, you will feel nothing but joy and praise to become part of her. Give up all hopes of escaping. There is nothing outside. She will pick one now, she said with an admiring look in her face as the goat walked to the front from behind the counter, her hooves clattering on the tile floor, the cleavers in her hands rubbing their blades against each other. The other people stared on blankly, as if used to this view, awaiting her decision and their fate in cold apathy. She picked one. As the goat stood with her back turned to me, I saw countless arms and faces and toes and teeth had grown out of her back. Some already decomposing. The free spots of her skin overgrown either by the sturdy short fur of a goat or showing human skin. You see that? The waitress asked me, her eyes still fixating the beast in front of us. Soon, you'll be one of those. Maybe I'll recognize your face when it grows out of her back. You will truly become part of something great, something immortal, godly. I watched in overwhelming shock, still thinking all of this was a dream, a nightmare. Now, what would you like to eat? She likes her stock well-fed and fat, the waitress said and handed me a menu, old and full of stains, the paper already yellowed, on the front and in barely readable, bleached-out letters. Welcome. Your sacrifice will please a god. Rejoice. That's so creepy. (laughs) Just thinking of like the teeth and the toes coming out of her back. Ew. Yeah. The eyeballs. (laughs) I apologize for my, uh, my poor accents there, but I had to switch it up a little bit. No, that's okay. I loved it. (laughs) There you go. Those are my Reddit stories for today. Those are great. I loved all of them. Hope you, hope y'all are spooked. I'm ready to hear your, uh, your story today. All right. Are you ready for this local story? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, enough. <laughs> I've heard it all before. Yeah, but that's okay. Imagine it's a dark October night. You and your friends are from a small town up the canyon and need something interesting to do. Well, what better place to blow off some steam and get a good spook than some abandoned cabins deep in the forest? Surely no one will know you're there. After all, no one's seen anyone at the cabins for years. Well, so you thought. As you make your way down the dirt path, getting lost among the pine tree silhouettes, you see a rooftop emerge in the distance and notice the gate is open. Perfect. Now what I'm about to read to you is an article from 1997 which details the rest of the events from the same night. The Cache County attorney Friday morning filed six felony counts of aggravated assault against each of the armed security guards who confronted 38 teens and young adults. Two groups of teenagers and young adults said that before dawn on October 10th, and again that night, three watchmen at the old St. Anne's retreat terrorized them. The teens were cited for trespassing into the camp sold by the Catholic Church to private investors in 1992. It has been rumored to be haunted for decades, but now is owned by several families who have topped the gate with barbed and razor wire. The teens who told authorities they walked through an open gate and crawled under a fence say they were confronted by three shotgun-wielding men. The security guards fired at least one shot over the heads of the first group, then marched them into the lodge, handcuffed, and tied them neck to neck by ropes. Later that night, a second group of 30 boys and girls, unaware of what happened in the earlier incident, say they were accosted by the same men, ordered into the empty pool, 
handcuffed with plastic flexible ties and bound by ropes neck to neck. They said they were told that if they moved, the ropes would tighten, triggering an explosive and their heads would be blown off. End quote. Wow. The teens also reported that the men sexually molested one of the girls and hit a boy on the head with the butt of their shotgun. They absolutely terrorized these kids. I actually know someone whose sister was supposed to go with that group of kids that night. All of her friends were getting together to go explore the haunted place and invited her along. But thankfully, she wasn't able to go, so who knows what could have happened to her. As I mentioned earlier, the location where this event happened is called St. Anne's Retreat, or what it's locally known as the Nunnery. The nunnery was developed in the early 1900s by the Hatch family. It was a beautiful property in the woods, boasting 21 buildings including lodges, cabins, a theater, a pool, and many more amenities. The stone steps leading up to the main building were welcoming and grand, and the ornate details carved into the wooden interiors told travelers that they were at a place of grandeur, not just any old cabin. Fountains and fireplaces dotted the scape, along with the now-torn-down horse stalls. The family that developed the property lived in New York, but would travel to Utah during the summers to stay at their very own summer camp, which was perfectly catered to them. And each summer, they would bring guests of all kinds to stay at their impressive camp, like the Tsar of Russia and Hollywood stars. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. By the 1950s, the Hatch family had slowly stopped visiting the camp, as I'm sure the children grew up and started lives of their own, and the memories of camp faded away with time. The lack of visitation prompted them to sell the property to the Catholic Church in the 50s, where it would be used as a spiritual retreat for the Sisters of the Holy Cross. This is when the camp was renamed as St. Anne's Retreat by the Sisters. Sorry, side note, that's a funny thought to me, where in Utah it's mostly LDS but it was sold to the Catholic Church and turned into a nunnery in the most random place. Well, but. it was actually offered to the LDS Church, but they turned it down. They didn't want it. They knew some bad mama juice was <laughs> going on. Now, I can't find much about why the nuns would go here during the summer. Maybe it was a vacation spot for them. Maybe it was a place of learning. Or maybe, as some legends tell... It was a place for pregnant nuns to go to stay hidden from the public eye. During their time at the retreat, the sisters grew fearful of outsiders. Because the property was well hidden and tucked away from the people of Cache County, it surely became the stuff of legend. Imagine being a kid in the town below the mountain, growing up knowing there's a big property of cabins in the woods where only nuns live and no one ever sees them. I mean, I can kind of imagine how these rumors got started. The sisters experienced a lot of vandalism and breaking and entering. The property was becoming more and more legendary in the town below, and local teenagers would make the trek on weekends to see if the rumors were true. Eventually, the nuns felt threatened enough that they purchased multiple guard dogs to alert them to any trespassers. St. Anne's operated until 1978 when it was closed for repairs. When it reopened, it was used as a camp for at-risk youth until it permanently closed its doors in 1987. In 1992, a man named Mark Epstein purchased the property with the hopes of renovating the buildings into vacation homes. However, nothing would ever come of this project, and it's widely assumed that because the place has such a mythical past, no one was interested in investing in his project. In 2021, 
the people of Utah were hit with quite the surprise. The nunnery, all of its property, buildings, swimming pool, and everything else was listed on the market for the price of $700,000. It has since been taken off the market, but there's very little information available about if it was purchased or not. But at the end of the day, the cabins still remain broken down and slowly merging once again with Mother Nature. Legends are often associated with abandoned buildings or something man-made left behind to rot and the nunnery is no exception. We know about the stories of ghosts in abandoned asylums, the ghostly women of the cemetery, or the screams from the mines, but do you know the legends of the nunnery? Since closing its doors in the 80s, the rumors about the property have festered. Locals will tell you stories of pregnant nuns being hidden up in the mountains where their babies would be taken away by the priests. Other legends tell of hellhounds, big black dogs with glowing red eyes patrolling the grounds at night, chasing off unwanted visitors. Another legend, and arguably the most famous, tells us of a nun who gave birth at St. Anne's. She had seen how the other babies were immediately taken from their mothers by the head nun and were put up for adoption around the state of Utah. To avoid this, she grabbed her baby and fled into the surrounding woods. A chase began, with guard dogs barking and the head nun screaming for the sister to return. Feeling that the mob was gaining on her, the mother hid her baby under a bush and ran away, making as much noise as possible to draw the crowd, and it worked. When the crowd dispersed, she snuck back to grab her child, only to discover his baby blanket was the only thing left behind. She made her way back to the retreat, only to be met with the corpse of her drowned child floating in the pool as a final middle finger to the mom. Ugh, so sad. Stricken with despair, the nun killed herself by eating poisonous berries from the nearby forest, hoping to join her baby in the afterlife. Reports speak of the sounds of children crying, and most famously, the sobs of a woman dressed in all black, holding something in her arms, standing in the drained swimming pool. Whatever the cause of the legends, a professor at USU believes they stem from a sinister rivalry between members of the LDS Church and the Catholic Church in the surrounding area. Since Logan is located in a predominantly LDS part of Utah, this professor believes locals were weirded out by the presence of the Catholic Church in their mountains and didn't like that they were, you know, different. I couldn't find any evidence suggesting that St. Anne's Retreat was a place for pregnant nuns to hide. In fact, all I could find were legends. Oh, and hopping back to the story from the beginning, when the three watchmen overtook the trespassing youngsters and forced them into the pool, the men themselves actually called the police both times that they terrorized the kids. And one of the calls goes a little something like this. Dispatcher. Around their necks. Guard. Yes, they're on their knees in the swimming pool. Dispatcher. You got them on their knees in the swimming pool? Guard, hey, this is on private property. In a later interview, the dispatcher says he felt the watchman was seriously scared of the group of kids, so he resorted to tying them up. But, what, but that makes me ask, why was he so scared of kids? It wasn't his home, not his own property, and the three men had guns, so what would make them tie these kids up and threaten them with a shotgun? So... Whatever you believe, next time you take a drive through Logan Canyon, remember the building sitting in the woods looking down at you, watching you as you go past, blissfully unaware of the horrors that took place there. That's so wild. I've never 
been to St. Anne's Retreat. I actually have no idea how to get there. I'm sure I could find directions, but um, yeah, that's crazy. The first time I heard about St. Anne, Anne's Retreat was on, man, I want to say it was Ghost Adventures. Maybe I knew about it before then, but if you guys are curious, um, Ghost Adventures does do a whole episode there, and it's wild. They have some pretty compelling photos at the end, too. They did, yeah. yeah. Great story. Very scary place. Yeah, I couldn't find anything verifying the story of the nun, like killing herself and the baby. Mm-hmm. So I doubt that's true, but it just adds to the lore. I remember they go over that in the Ghost Adventures episode as well. And I think they, yeah, they say the same thing that it's not confirmed, but it's definitely uh, like the most famous rumor. Yeah. Most yeah. popular, whatever. Ugh. Yuck. Scary. Yep. <laughs> So everyone who's listening and lives near Logan, take a drive. Maybe go stop outside of the bridge that connects you to St. Anne's Retreat. We would love to see your photos. Do you know if you can still go there? You can't. It's private. Well, I mean, you could sneak on though, right? It's not like there's something um, like they didn't destroy the bridge so you can't drive there anymore or anything like that. No, it's still there. You can sneak on, but there's fences and barbed wire everywhere. Okay. I found an article saying someone broke in at the end of 2021, mm-hmm. and the cops were, like, hot in their tail. So mm. so it's not worth it. Yeah. My guess is it's, like, highly patrolled because Ghost Adventures made it so famous. Yeah. I believe it. Okay. Well, do you have anything else? That's it for me. Okay. Well, guys, we will scare you in the next one. Stay spooky.